And joining us right now is an old friend, and we'll get this together. Rob Nelson joins us. Rob, how are you? Uh, very well, thanks. Happy to be here. All right. Rob, tell us, first of all, the weather in Portland. How is it? It's always sunny in Portland. It's 75, uh, not a cloud in the sky. And no humidity, right? No, absolutely not. Tell me before if we there, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. Tell I was me. Gonna say, if every day were like this in Portland, we'd have five million people here. So <laughs> we're, we're enjoying it. Uh, tell me real quick. You first got to Portland as a member of the Portland Mavericks, which was an independent league, minor league team. Well, it's it's presumptuous to say I came here to be a Portland Maverick. It was <laughs> everybody came everybody came to try out, and yep. I, so I came here in June of 1975. And uh, the tryout didn't go so well, but I fell in love with the city of Portland and just hung around until things improved. That's what I was going to say. So you got there in 75, so you've spent the better part of 45 years of your life in Portland. It must be a pretty special place to you. It's very special. And you know what? When I tried out, I had one good outing and one disastrous outing, and I knew I'd pitched myself off the team. And there were two, three hundred guys trying out for the Mavs back then. Right. And and I told Bing Russell, the fellow who owned the team, that I knew that I was not going to make the club, but that I wanted to stick around. I'd throw batting practice for 10 bucks a day and sell tickets on the phone. And that's exactly what I did. And then, as luck would have it, I had presented Bing with an idea for a baseball day camp, which he loved. It was called the Little Maverick Baseball School. And he helped me set it up with the town, the city of Portland, and that's what kept me here. I, I had a job. In fact, there are a lot of Maverick teammates who are still here in town who said that the first two jobs they had were playing for Bing and then working for me at Little Mavs. Now, the stadium that, that you played in with the Mavs, does that still exist out there? You know, it's it's a beautiful, I hate to say it, soccer-specific stadium uh -huh. for the uh, Major League Soccer Portland Timbers. They, they've got kind of soccer city thing going here. When they renovated the ballpark, they took away left field, uh, much to my dismay. I had sent drawings time and again to the, to the owner of the, the, uh, the team here, Merrick Paulson, and explained to him how this could be the Fenway Park of the West. Because Major League Soccer fields are so wide, Mm -hmm. It would have been easy to move seats in from left field to accommodate soccer and then move them back to accommodate baseball, much in the in the format of, of, of Fenway Park. But uh, apparently Major League Soccer wanted soccer-specific. Right. Knew that that's what the league wanted. So he made a business decision, and I can't fault him for it, but it does break my heart to see that left field is gone and it's full of uh, footy fans. And and they are they draw very well for the soccer, though, don't they? Uh, it's 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 one of the stronger teams in the league. Uh, it, one of the interesting things about it, it's an old stadium that with great renovations. It's near light rail. It's in the center of the city. Uh, there's a great buzz. I, the, the Timbers Army fan base is, is renowned and fanatical. It's a great experience if you're into soccer, and a lot of people out here are. And what's its seat? About 18,000, 20,000? No, they just recently expanded it. It's probably closer to 25,000 now. And it's packed every time the Timbers play. Unbelievable. Plus, they have a women's team in the women's league, uh, the Thorns, and uh, they outdraw probably every other team in the league. They might outdraw the entire rest of the league combined. Wow. Uh, there's that much fever out here for that. 
All right. We're talking with Rob Nelson. The reason I had Rob on, Rob is the founder and owner, still currently owner, of Big League Chew, uh, which what year my guys are holding up. I got interns on the show. You can you can watch it on uh, later on on Facebook Live, Rob. I gave them a couple packs of uh, of the bubble gum. Um, what year did you start Big League Chew? Well, the the, the the lightning in a pouch moment, as my dad would call it, uh, was in the summer of 1977. Jim Bouton and I were sitting in the bullpen, and uh, that's how the conversation the conversation came up that uh, neither he nor I chewed Redman. And uh, I, I'd said I'd, I'd like the idea of shredding gum, and things just happened. But it was the summer of 77. Jim Bouton said I could sell that idea, and true to his word, he did. So by January of 1980... Big League Chew was on the shelves. And Jim Bouton, did he did he end up selling the idea to people that put up the money, or did Jim put up some of the grub stake to be a part of this? Jim and I, Jim and I became partners on a handshake. He put up about $10,000 so for me to make prototypes. As luck would have it, one of the dads in the little from the Little Maverick Baseball School was a patent and trademark attorney Unbelievable. by the name of Dan Chernoff, who was from the D.C. area. Uh-huh. Uh, Dan and I got along great. He, he was also a Cornell guy. In fact, he spent seven years in Ithaca uh, in the electrical engineering department and then uh, in the, the law school. And he's the one who did all the legal work. But Jim is the guy who was the original and only investor in Big League Chew. So he did two things. He Well, three things, actually. He understood that I really had something special, yep. number one. Number two, he put his money where his mouth was. And then the <laughs> just busted his butt and found a company that would make Big League Chew. It was a small division of Wrigley at the time called Amaral Products Company. And uh, we had a three-year deal, thanks to Jim Bouton. We're talking with Rob Nelson, and if you could do me a favor, I'm talking to my producer right now, Ryan. If you can call Adam on the phone number I gave you over there, and let him know everything's cool, but he's calling on our call waiting. And uh, uh, we had a guest flake out on us. He forgot that he was doing the show, and it created a lot of tumult today, uh, Rob Nelson. But I don't want it to, to distract us from the conversation. Jim Bouton passed away this this past week at the age of 80. I'm assuming he was still a friend of yours until the day he passed. Uh, absolutely. I, I knew that he was not in great shape. And over the last five or six months, I went to see him four or five times. And each time I saw him, Jim was, you could just see that he was fading. He went from being a very young 70 year old. Right. Uh, and, and he had a couple of strokes and then he had some, uh, uh, some brain issues and memory loss and so forth. It was tough for me to go see him, but he was just the greatest guy right to the end. Did he? Uh, I can't emphasize that enough. You know, yeah. Jim used to say he was going to change his first name to Controversial because <laughs> any any article always talked about Controversial Jim Bouton. He, he, he was going to become C.J. Bouton because <laughs> he became part of who he was. But I will say this, when he came to Portland, he was beloved as a teammate. We thought he was hilarious. Plus, he was still the bulldog. He could still go out and do the job. You know, it's remarkable. And when whenever you and I talk, uh, we invariably end up talking about Bouton. And I had remembered because I the copy of the book that I bought, Ball 4 plus Ball 5, that he autographed at the Regulator Bookstore in Durham about 20 years ago, 
has a picture of him in an Atlanta Braves uniform, like the side sleeve. You can tell it's like the tomahawk. He actually yep. through through going to pitch at Portland. He made it back to the major leagues, albeit briefly, in the '78 season for the Atlanta Braves as a knuckleball pitcher. Well, you know he he had a great season in '77 for the Mavericks. Ted Turner and he were the same age, right? And uh, Turner gave him a shot, and Jim earned his way back to the big leagues. He pitched for Bobby Dews uh, for in Savannah in Double A. And had a great season. Got called up in September. Pitched a couple of great games, and uh, and then when the season was over, he said, "Well, I've done that, and and I just wanted to see if I could." And he walked away from the game on his own terms. But I got to tell you one thing: when he made it back to the big leagues, he made two calls out to Portland. One was to me, and another one was to a fellow Maverick, Steve Katz, uh, who's a, a sports chiropractor now out in California. And Jim flew us to Atlanta to see his first start against the Dodgers, and we couldn't believe that he did that. Steve had helped Jim in terms of uh, nutrition and keeping his arm in shape and so forth, and uh, and Jim and I were just kindred spirits, and and, and so he he did that for us, and we, we still can't believe that he that he he was so so generous and so magnanimous in the middle of this unbelievable comeback that he still thought about his old Maverick teammates. That's, that's a great story. Um, you know, I'm, he's got a special place for me. One of my favorite all-time movies is The Long Goodbye, uh, directed by Robert <laughs> Altman, uh, and it's yes. the Philip Marlowe detective story fast-forwarded into 1970s L.A., and Jim Bouton played a small but significant role. He played a character named Terry Lennox uh, in, right. in the movie. Uh, and I won't give it away or anything like that. But this is one of the, the most interesting and handsome guys I've ever seen. And I don't talk generally about guys' looks. How dynamic a guy was he when he was really 35 to 40 years of age? He was, he was just... Such an authentically good guy and a real interesting observer, uh, observer of people. And uh, you know, we can talk, I guess, a little bit about the Battered Bastards of Baseball, the documentary that was done about the Mavs. And there are clips of Jim on Johnny Carson, and he looks and sounds like a rock star. I mean, he and Johnny Carson just hit it off. It, it was just such a classy moment. And, of course, it gave the old down-and-out Mavs some real street credibility that one of our star players was on national TV. But Jim belonged there. And yeah. the thing that was interesting, he wasn't a hot dog in terms of, hey, I'm Jim Bouton kind of thing. I would ask him to do little things, and he would do it. Uh, yeah. I remember once I had a discussion with Bing Russell because the last year I was the pitching coach, and I had an idea, and, Jim, and, and Bing said, I love this idea. We started Jim. Instead of having him go a side session in between starts, we started him on a Friday night because we knew we could draw a big crowd and we had a press release that said Jim Bouton's starting tonight. We get there early. He's only going two innings. So we might have been the first professional team to have an opener. Jim went in and he did his side session in front of 5,000 people. And, and then he pitched again three, two days later. And uh, he was willing to do that kind of stuff because he was just so open-minded about stuff. Um, the book. The book originally came out, Ball Four, in 70 or 71? 70. 70. So when he battled back to make it to the major leagues, 
there was some scorn within the game toward him for writing a quote-unquote tell-all type of book, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, there was, and and uh, it was unfortunate. There, there are probably parts of ball for the Jim wish he hadn't written, but for the most part, like ninety-five percent of it yeah. was just what a goofy bunch of human beings those guys were. <laughs> I mean, even at the single A level. It was like summer camp, except that you got paid and, and people cheered you or booed you. And Jim loved the whole theater of the thing. That's one of the reasons he got along so well with Bing Russell. I mean, Bing was the sheriff on Bonanza for 15 years. He's the father of Kurt Russell. Kurt was a teammate. And, and he and Jim just hit it off great because they, uh, uh, they were such upbeat guys. So the negative part of that whole book thing, by the time we got to know him in Portland, there wasn't a, te- a guy on that team that didn't think Jim was absolutely a great guy. A lot of old school guys didn't like the fact that Jim uh, told stories that were less than flattering about people like Whitey Ford and Mickey Mantle, and guys didn't like that. There are fellows today who still just don't think very highly of Jim, and and I feel badly for them because they missed out on a really great guy. Tell me me this, if you you know the details of this. Apparently, uh, Jim lost a daughter early, uh, and... Mickey Mantle, who had sort of blackballed Jim because of some of the things he wrote in the book, Mickey Mantle reached out to him. Are you familiar with that story? You know, I saw that clip from Jane Levy, and and she's got that story wrong, actually. Okay. What happened was that Jim, uh, when Mickey's son Billy passed away, okay, in, I believe, 1995, Jim wrote to Mickey Mantle, and, and basically said, like, you know, we we have more in common than not. That right. We are fathers of sons. We're, we're part of the Yankee alumni. And I'm just reaching out to tell you how how badly I feel for your loss and how sorry I am that, that this has happened. And uh, Jim had told me, he said he was on the fence and he didn't he didn't know if he should do it or not. And he decided to do it. Yeah. And uh, I remember it in such detail because I remember Jim's secretary, their office, his office in Teaneck, New Jersey, uh, his secretary, Gloria, said to Jim when he came in in the morning, he said, were there any messages? She said, I think you should sit down and listen to this one. And it was mm. a tape of Mickey Mantle, and Jim saved the tape. In fact, they recently announced that all of Jim's uh, artifacts have been uh, are part of the Library of Congress now. And I think that conversation is part of it. And I've heard wow. it, and it's Mickey Mantle saying, Jim, uh, really appreciate your, your message, and it really means a lot to me. And, and I want you to know that I have no hard feelings about ball four and that uh, in mm. terms of you going to the old timers game, he says, I'm all for it kind of thing. And, and Jim Bouton, it's, it's like he, 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 he got 15 years younger right. when he heard that thing. He was just so ebullient that, that the Mick was willing to see the bigger picture. Yep. And Mickey was, Mickey, let's put it this way. Mickey was as gracious as Jim was through that whole episode. It was a classy move on both guys. That's a that's an incredible story, an incredible story. Uh, Having said that, the other thing that you mentioned about Jim losing his daughter, that was true. It was the same week that, that there was the the tragic Princess Diana crash in, in Paris. It was the same. How old, was, how old was Jim's daughter at the time? Lori was uh, in her early 30s. Uh, she was rear-ended uh, in an accident in mm. New Jersey. Uh, she had gone over a hill, saw an accident up ahead and slowed down. And the driver behind Lori was unaware of what was going on and, and slammed into her and she died the next day. Mm. It was, 
it was just terrible, just awful. Jim really, he went into a funk for a very, very long time. What what kind of family man was Jim like? As I alluded to, great-looking guy. Was he a solid husband and father to his kids? You know, I, I think so. I, I You know, I was out here on the West Coast. He was, yep. still lived back in New Jersey. You know, his first marriage to Bobby didn't work out, but they were married for a very long time. Uh, they had uh, their adopted son, David, and uh, Michael and Lori. Whenever I went over to their home in uh, first Englewood and then Teaneck, it was uh, uh, a great time. And with his second marriage to Dr. Paula Kerman, uh, she had two kids. And when I'd go there for you know the holiday season, it was really fun. It was like a to me, it was like a Norman Rockwell painting. I always looked forward to going over there. It was a lot like a clubhouse, very irreverent. You know, you would show up and they'd say, "Where'd you get those trousers?" You know, <laughs> nothing was, uh, you know, nothing was uh, uh, sacred. Hey, tell me this about Jim Bouton because you knew him so well, and you probably being contemporaries, somewhat contemporaries of him. It, he was he burst onto the scene in 1962. Goes seven and seven. He started 16 games, pitched 36 games. The next year, his first full season in the major leagues, he wins 21 games. He started 30 games and pitched in 40 games. So I'm imagining he won some of those out of the bullpen. The following year, he goes 18 and 13, and then the Yankees started to suck, and he started to suck at the same time, didn't he? You know, it's it's really a cautionary tale, and and. Uh... You know, when Strasburg came in and was pitching for the Nats, the, the, the whole idea of minding his innings and being very careful with his arm, that didn't happen back, back in the 60s. And, and the thing is, Jim never complained about that. If I'm not mistaken, his first two years, his first full, two full seasons, he, he threw over 300 innings each year. And Casey Stengel had left the Yankees, and Ralph Houck was the manager, and uh, you know, he, he was known as the major, and and, uh, and Jim threw a lot more innings than he should have. I mean, to win almost 40 games in two years, I mean, he lost to Don Drysdale in the World Series, a one nothing game. Uh, he won two World Series games in 64 uh, against the Bob Gibson Cardinals. I mean, that was the beginning of the end for the Yankees. But uh, Jim used to say he had a Volkswagen body, <laughs> and, and, and and through like he was, you know, was a, you know, a V8 engine and his body just broke down. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was, it was that, unfortunate, but that's, that's basically what happened with Jim. And then being resourceful, he went to the knuckleball, which always messed around with that right. kid. And, uh, so he stayed around in the game. Baseball was lucky that he did because he never would have been a Seattle pilot and would never would have written what a lot of people consider to be one of the top five baseball books ever written. We're talking to Rob Nelson. Rob is the founder and still to this day owner. It's had some changing of hands, but Rob still owns Big League Chew. Uh, I'm going to give you an idea. My wife today said she realized I was having you on, and she and I, I put the book Ball Four out on my table last night because I wanted to bring it in to read one little excerpt from it. But she said... Uh, yeah, he's the guy that did uh, Big League Chew, and I said he did it with Rob Nelson. And she said, I've looked on eBay. My wife's an avid eBay person. The uh, bags of gum on eBay, I think, are already going for $20 a bag this week. <laughs> I don't know if you've checked that out. 
But I wonder, I, I don't know what would be involved with this, but but I'm not looking for you to profit, so to speak, off of this idea. What about a special edition of 5,000 bags of gum with Jim Bouton on it? And maybe the uh, money... Maybe I've the already m- got something, I've got something similar to that in the works. Okay, great. Uh, I definitely want to have a character with the number 56 on it. Okay. Uh, from this day forward kind of thing. Uh, you know, I, I'll send you the tribute that, that Ford Gum and I uh, put together. Yeah, I'd uh, love to, to honor Jim. Okay. You know, it, it really, uh, he's the guy, he was the straw that stirred the drink. Yeah, I mean, there's I no question. School teacher. You, you know, he was the guy who made it happen. You know, I, it's so magnanimous of you to say that because a lot of people get caught up in the ego. Well, that was my idea. You know, an idea is, is great to have. But I met somebody who invented an incredible piece of athletic equipment down in Durham, North Carolina, when I lived there 20 years ago. And I was trying to help him. And he had the trademark on the piece of equipment. But he thought the idea was the thing, that that's the value. And not understanding how to make it happen, that piece of equipment is sitting on the graveyard of uh, pieces of gym athletic equipment. It takes somebody to make something happen, and I, I think it's magnanimous of you to admit that uh, so openly, and I know your fondness of Jim, but uh, I think it's so important that we understand that an idea is a great thing, but then, then somebody can come along and help you execute that idea. They're just as important. No question about it. When I do talks at schools and sports teams and so forth, you always talk about the team effort there. And and Dan Chernoff as a, a patent and trademark guy, stepping forward. Bing Russell giving me an opportunity to be a part of the Mavericks, even though I couldn't pitch a lick at the professional level. And then Jim just listening to a wide-eyed kid coming up with a wacky idea. A lot of people could have put up ten grand, and people say, geez, he, he only put up $10,000 and got half the business for 20 years. Uh, I would have done it again in a heartbeat. He 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 absolutely was as tenacious as a businessman as he was, you know, on the night. He was the bulldog, you know, in the boardroom. Yeah, uh, no no doubt about it. It's funny. After I spoke to you yesterday, I text our mutual friend who introduced me to you, Adam Gladstone. I said, you know, Jim Bouton died. I said, uh, I think you ought to drop a little text or call uh, or call Rob. And he said, I already did. Talk to him last night. Uh, you know, you say well, one thing I do want to say when you talk about the 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 whole idea of it takes a team. Jim was always great when people say we understand that you invented big league shoe, and he said actually no, it was my left-handed buddy Rob Nelson. <laughs> and uh, you know he, you know Jim used to say I had the inspiration and he was the perspiration, and I thought that was hilarious because that's really true. Once I knew that something was going to happen with big league shoe, I went back to South Africa and played ball there. I ended up going to Sydney. Mm. I finished my base baseball life pitching in London, largely on the back of, yeah. let's face it, bags of pink shreds of gum. And, uh, you know, this week I'm still reeling from the, the whole idea that the guy who made it happen is no longer here. Bing Russell's gone and, and, uh, and Jim Bouton is gone. And all I can say is the end game is just terrible. I miss those guys already. And, uh, and at the same time, I'm really grateful for who they were and what they did for not only for me, but for anybody who touched them. Is there going to be a funeral or a, a memorial, or you coming coming east for that? Uh, I will be coming east. I still do a kids' baseball camp on Long Island. 
I'm taking my 15-year-old son, Charlie, to uh, a lacrosse event in Massachusetts uh, next week. I haven't heard back from Paula. I've just kind of let that yep. lay low. I can't imagine what's going on in that household because my phone, since Jim passed, has been exploding with texts and voicemails and so many kind people just reaching out saying that, I'm sorry you lost your buddy. Because a lot of people look at us like Butch and Sundance. Yep. And, uh, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm honored to, be, to have been a part of that whole thing. Uh, it, it, you know, my dad was a New York City cop and... and he liked the fact that his three sons have had had full lives and very successful lives, and we've done some fun things. And I love my dad's line that how great it would be to be comfortable and anonymous uh, <laughs> as opposed to being rich and famous. And because of Jim, that's what I've been, except for Halloween night uh, you know, here in Portland where everybody knows where the gum house uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty much you know under the radar. And, and again, that's all because of Jim. Hey, I wanted to read uh... – the last couple paragraphs of the original ball four without the, oh, wow. uh, without he's talking about his uh, former uh, major league pitcher that he knew Jim O'Toole. He says, and then I thought of Jim O'Toole and I felt both strange and sad. When I took the cab to the airport in Cincinnati, I got into a conversation with the driver and he said he'd played ball that summer against Jim O'Toole. He said O'Toole was pitching for the Ross Eversoles in the Kentucky in the Kentucky Industrial League. He said O'Toole yep. he said O'Toole is all washed up. He doesn't have his fastball anymore, but his control seems better than when he was with Cincinnati. I had to laugh at that. O'Toole won't be trying to sneak one over the corner on Willie Mays in the Kentucky Industrial League. Jim <laughs> O'Toole and I started out even in the spring. He wound up with the Ross Eversoles and I with a new lease on life. And as I daydreamed of being Fireman of the Year in 1970, I wondered what the dreams of Jim O'Toole are like these days. Then I thought, would I do that? When it's over for me, would I be hanging on with the Ross Eversoles? I went down deep, and the answer I came up with was yes. Yes, I yep. would. You see, you spend a good piece of your life gripping a baseball, and in the end, it turns out, that it was the other way around all the time. Uh, the last uh, words of Jim Bouton in Ball Four. Rob, uh, I'll talk to you soon, okay? Can I say one last thing? You sure can. One, one lucky happenstance is that before things went south for Jim physically yep. and mentally, he read the book, and the audible edition of Jim Bouton reading Ball Four is a classic. Okay. He's laughing as he's reading it. He's not a professional reader. Right. And I said to his wife, Paula, <laughs> it's an amazing story. I'll have to get a copy of that. Hey. It's I, really good. Just put, have it in the car. It's like having Jim sitting next to yep. you reading his books. It's wonderful. All right. And take a look at uh, the long goodbye when people get a chance. Uh Terry Terry Lennox has an interesting ending in that in that movie. Thanks he very sure much, does. Rob. Thanks very much. I always appreciate the box of gum once a year. Don't need it for a while, but I appreciate it. All right. Okay, my you're, pleasure. You're a good yeah, friend, you so and much, I man. you're a good friend, and I appreciate you coming on to talk about your friend. Likewise, buddy. Thank All right. you so much. Take care. All right. Bye now.